As we continue our journey through the book of Job, uh, tonight we're, we're going to talk uh, about justice, and among other things. Uh, this is the closest I think I'll ever get to teaching like Pastor Chuck Smith. Uh, to me, he's the best uh, teacher I've ever heard, uh, but he would just teach through the Bible. He would just teach through, he would comment, no outline per se necessarily, no type of uh, hermeneutics and homiletical structure. Just giving the word and in the process, people learning it and thereby growing. And so it's for me, that's the best that I do because whatever I, I do in the book of Job, I can't organize it. But I will say this, that there is a streamline here of learning how to suffer in this world and understanding that sometimes we suffer for doing what's right, not just for doing what's wrong. And so we're learning how to be sufferers. We're also learning how to be comforters, that when we go and spend time with people that are going through hard times, that we would see them with, with eyes of compassion and that we would go and minister to people with a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You know, but, but today uh, we're thinking of that word justice and maybe you've heard the story about the woman in Prague. Uh, her name was Vera Zermak, who's... Husband one day came in and told her that he was leaving her for another woman. And so when she heard the news, she was devastated by it. And in her heart, she decided that she was going to take her life because her husband was leaving her. And so he, he walked out the door. And as she's there just pondering this whole process, a few minutes later, uh, she could take it no longer. And tragically, she jumped out the window. But it happened to be the same time that her husband was coming out the building down there on the bottom. And so she landed right on top of him. And she killed him instantly. And then she broke her fall and was able to walk away from that whole thing with only a couple of bruises, the apartment and his life insurance, right? And, and when, you, when you hear that story, you know, it, it kind of sounds a little gory, but, but you know, looking at that, uh, some people believe that that's how life is. That's how it should be, that it's always like, like just in this world. You know, we're going to see today that's how Elihu, or Elihu, I don't know how you pronounce his name, uh, believed in immediate justice, you know, and, you know, that guy, he's doing wrong, and so let's take care of him right here, right now. And, you know, it doesn't always work that way, huh? Have you ever felt like life has been unfair to you? I mean, maybe you feel that way right now, like it's just not adding up, like it doesn't make sense, like he wronged me or that happened there. And, you know, we can get bitter, and then we can even come to a place in our life where we no longer trust God. You know, the thing that we learn in the book of Job is that, you know, it might not happen right away, and a lot of times it doesn't. We don't see it even sometimes in this life. But one day, everything, all wrongs will be made right, and we will see that our God really is a God of justice. You know, chapter 34 of the book of Job has a lot to do with justice. We're going to see the word which is found only 14 times in the entire book, is found uh, four times in this one chapter. And so it seems to be 
the theme. And as we study the book of Job, we're going to see that God is a just God. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that just people won't suffer seasons of injustice on planet Earth. We see that Job is a perfect example of that, that although he was blameless and upright, he feared God, he shunned evil, he loved the Lord, and you know, you might think that everything therefore would go perfect for him. No, he lost all his children, all his wealth, and all his health. Sometimes we might look at someone and we see, you know, their life doesn't seem all that right and put together, and they don't got the house, and they don't got the white picket fence. They must be wrong. And you might be looking at people in this congregation judging them like that. And little do you know that they are much more righteous than you. Even though you got your life all together. You see, one day God will expose everything. And we have to be careful that we don't judge people the way Job's friends did. You know, when Job was going through all this to make matters worse, the devil himself was behind all this. And the devil had a bet with God that Job would just curse God and die. And so what the devil did when we study the book of Job is that he spoke through Job's friends. With friends like that, who needs enemies, right? The frenemies, that's who they were. They were terrible, man. In Job 16.2, he said, you guys are miserable counselors. That's what he was going through. That's what he was experiencing it. And so we near the, the end of their dialogue, and we pick it up today in the middle of Elihu's talk to Job. Notice what we read in, in Job 34 and verse 1. Elihu, Elihu further answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. And we've seen that although he's the youngest of Job's four friends, Elihu, Elihu thought he was the wisest of all. You know, he said, I got it all together. I've got all the knowledge. And so he tells everybody to really listen to my words. That as the tongue has the capacity to taste good food, if they just listened to his words, then they would hear good words. That's what he says there in the beginning. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. I don't know about you guys. I, I'm blessed that, um, that God put, you know, taste buds on our tongues. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, think about it. He didn't have to do that. We could have been fed by IVs. How fun would that be, you know? But thank God we can taste uh, good food. Uh, today I went to lunch with the guys and we went to a Mexican restaurant right here that advertised 99-cent tacos on, on Wednesdays. And so I went and I said, hey, they got 99-cent tacos today. I forgot it was Thursday. But anyways, we went, you know. <laughs> and then uh, anyways, when we got there, I said, okay, well, I'm going to check out the tacos that they have. And so this is what I decided to do. I decided to take one, take one of each, you know, the chicken, the carne asada, and the and the carnitas. I said, I'm going to taste them all, see if they're good, whether or not I'll come back. And even out of all the three, I'm going to see which one's the best. And uh, you'll never guess which one was the best. The carnitas, huh? You guys knew it, huh? 
And so anyways, I'm blessed by that beautiful thing that we can taste things and we can immediately see if it's good. I mean, not just a, a preference, but sometimes even something that's sour, something that's rotten. You can smell it or you can put it on your tongue and you can spit it out. You know it's not good. That's what Eliyu is saying. He's saying, you listen to what I say. You guys are going to see that my words are the best words of all. If you listen to me, he says, you'll finally see. I mean, this guy was really stuck on himself. And of course, we know the whole story that his words, when applied to Job, they did not pass the test. And so we read in verse 5, uh, he says, it, uh, for, for Job has said, I am righteous. God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks scorn like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men? For he has said it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. And, and I, I do encourage you, as you read through the book of Job, um, really take your time. You're going to have to really weave and work your way through all this mess, all these words, you know. Verses 5 and 6 are Elihu, who says, what, this is what Job said. I mean, this is, as he's listening to Job, talk to the other guys, Bildad and Eliphaz and, and Zophar. This is what Job has said so far. And, and in looking at this, uh, Job did say to them that he was righteous and that he held to his integrity. But, but he wanted... You know, they wanted him to lie. That's what we read there in verse 6. And just to say, come on, Jude, fess up, confess it. You're in sin and that's why you're suffering. And, and Job basically was saying, you know what, I, I'm not claiming to be sinless. But what I'm trying to tell you is that in my relationship with God, what I'm going through, he's communicating to me very clearly that it's not because of my sin. So I'm not going to lie and give in to what you're saying. And so this guy says that Job said he was righteous. And what Job really was saying that he was not suffering because of his sin. Um, Job did feel like God had taken away his justice. And we see that back in chapter 27 verse 2. Job said that straight out. I feel that way. I feel that even though you know I've tried my hardest to love God and and to be a family man and take care of my children. And I mean, when you see the life of Job, he would wake up every day in the morning and he would pray for his children. I mean, how many, how many fathers really do that? You know, he was saying, Lord, uh, and here's the guy before the Bible, years ahead of us. It's interesting to me, you know, he didn't even have the Bible, but he lived a life so much more uh, stronger in his walk than a lot of people who have the Bible. You know, so as he's searching his heart, he's trying to do the right thing, and then all these things happen to him. All ten of his children die, and one day he loses all his wealth, he loses all his health, he's covered from head to toe with boils that are so painful. You know, he, he, he did say, Lord, I... It just doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't seem just. Job did say that, right? And, and, and you know, that was just 
part of his understandable struggle. You know, given the nature of his situation, I'll tell you what, I think God was okay with him saying that. Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, it doesn't seem fair. I think God was okay with that. His friends should have been more sensitive to the Spirit, you know, and it's an important word to counselors and friends when you're seeing your loved ones in situations like that to be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He expressed the fact that he felt it was unfair, that his heart was right, but he never said that he was sinless. And all his friends, they came to him and they said, you're in sin. You know who that is? That's the devil. What does the Bible say? The devil is an accuser of the brethren. And so we have to be careful with that. You know, verse 7 to me is an interesting verse. Notice what it says right there. Uh, again, Eliu is speaking, what man is like Job? who drinks scorn like water. I mean, he, he says basically what man is like Job who, who drinks in these irreverent words and he speaks them as he drinks them in. I mean, he's kind of saying that Job is really, really bad. What man is like Job who would talk like this? This guy is the worst. When in all reality, it's on the flip side, huh? Wouldn't you guys say this? What man is like Job? I mean, how many of us here, if we went through the things that he went through, I mean, not only would we have cried, we would have complained, and we would have quit. There's a lot of guys, even in the church, man, they go through things not this bad, and they quit and they split. I'll tell you what, what man is like Job, to me, that should be taken in the positive. You know, Elihu thought Job was the worst in the world. What man is like him? But God, in one sense, thought he was maybe the best in the world. Remember back in the beginning, we read in chapter 2, verse 3, that the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, blameless, upright, fears God, shuns evil. That's why we're studying the book of Job. Here we are thousands of years later. His life has impacted so many people because when we go through the sufferings, we can experience the strength from his life. What man is like him, you know? I do wonder, has there ever been a man like Job other than our Lord Jesus Christ? I tell you what, Job's life is hard to match. He's such an example of integrity and righteousness. No matter what the devil throws his way, he's still there standing. Now, it's not easy, but he's still there standing in his faith. You know, Elihu believed exactly the opposite. He assumed that Job kept company with wicked men and workers of iniquity. We read that in our text. Uh, another thing Job never said, look at verse 9 again, if you would. Um, it says, For he has said, It profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. You know, and Job never said that. Job never said, well, you know what? It doesn't profit anything if you, if you delight in the Lord. As a matter of fact, in Job chapter 21, verse 15, that's exactly what Job said the wicked say. In Job 21, 15, 
Who is the Almighty? He says that this is a wicked, this is what the wicked say. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? Now, all I'm saying is this the devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. And sometimes he'll go to you and he'll tell you, you know, lies. And sometimes he'll go to others and he'll tell them lies about you. He's the father of lies. And right here, he's trying to get to Job. He's trying to break him down. He's trying to beat him down. He's trying to take him down. How? By, by lying to him, even making him think that this is what he said, when in all reality, it, he never said it. You know, um, it, as a matter of fact, Job believed the exact opposite. And we need to as well. You know, it, let me just tell you something. It does profit a man if he delights in the Lord. It does. It does make a difference, man. You know, Psalm 37, 4, I love that passage. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You know, and to me, that's just a beautiful promise, you know, and, and you know, part of it is, I believe in things like, if you like chocolate ice cream, man, God is so good, you know, I'll give you chocolate ice cream. I mean, last night it was so cool because someone texted me and they said, hey, my mother-in-law made some chile rellenos if you want to come over and pick them up. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I love those things, you know. And so <laughs> it was delicious. God is so good. God has blessed me in my life in so many ways. He has given me the desires of my heart you know, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, it does profit. Now, does that mean you get everything you want? Of course not, you know. Bottom line is a person who delights in the Lord, who loves the Lord, they don't see things that way. Like, I get everything I want. I'm going to get my way since I delight myself in the Lord. No, the promise isn't like, you know, for a piece of land per se. The promise is for the peace of mind. The peace that Jesus gives, that the world cannot offer, the peace that surpasses understanding that no matter how bad your circumstances are, how bad your difficulties are, you could be looking at death straight in the face. It doesn't matter because you have this peace that surpasses understanding. I mean, the things that the Lord gives to those who delight in Him, to those who love Him, you know, that right there, Psalm 37, 4, Job, th this is kind of like a, an Old Testament version of the New Testament, Matthew 6, 33. What does it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, this guy, he continues to talk. Notice what we read next in verse 10. He says, therefore, listen to, to me, you men of understanding, Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. For he repays man according to his work and makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. You know, and, and as you're going through all these things, um, when you're reading the book of Job, you guys know it's a poetical book, right? It's a poetical book. But did you also know it's a book of wisdom? It's considered and classified and categorized as a book of wisdom. And so you're going to see a, a lot of things, uh, and, and a lot of times these guys say things that are true and wise, and we should learn these principles of Scripture. It doesn't mean they always apply to Job, 
but nonetheless, they are true. You know, it's interesting the way that these guys, however, attack Job. And right here, it says, he repays man according to his work. What's he saying to Job? He's implying that Job was getting payback, that Job was getting what he deserved, that God repays the rebel who's bad, and he wanted him to know that. And, and yet, you guys know, let me ask you a question. For those of you who have read the book of Job, is Job being punished? Is Job being paid back? No. We who have seen behind the scenes know that that's not Job's case. And we who have the Bible, it's cool, so cool, we have a, a, an understanding of what's true that this guy right here doesn't have. You know, I don't know how your life is uh, being a, a pastor. You know, you, you see a lot of a lot of heartache, a lot of difficult things. I mean, sometimes the marriages don't make it, families fall apart. I mean, guys that you would have never thought. I mean, they were just so right on track, and next thing you know, he has an affair, and it just, everyone suffers. I mean, you see guys having children, and, you know, the, the girl is there then left alone as he goes and does his own thing. I mean, you see people getting beat up, attacked, raped. You talk to a lot of people who have been molested as a child. I mean, you name it, you just go down the list, the death and the suffering and the sickness and the pain that people live with chronically. You know, the mental illnesses. I mean, the way that we see the things happening in this fallen world, I mean, it, it's so difficult you know, but, but having the book of Job in our heart, it, it helps so much. You know, we discover that when it comes to suffering, it's not that simple. We live in a fallen world and we have fallen bodies. We fight fallen angels. I mean, why did the hurricane hit Texas? Why is it that when that hurricane hit Texas, it just stayed right there in that area? You know, right away, you have some Christians who are saying, well, those are bad people in Texas. Have you guys heard stuff like that? I mean, it's just terrible theology. A lot of those people who suffered there in Texas were right on Christians. And then Florida. And you, know, you don't know what's going to happen next. The earthquake in, in Mexico. And, and, and you know, so then when you start reading your Bible, you realize, well, it's because we live in a fallen world. I mean, the world, that, that we brought sin into it, but the world is broken. Right? Our bodies are broken. We're fighting demons. You know, we know the truth. It's so good for us as Christians. We have the Bible. We know that sometimes the best of people, the very best of people, suffer the worst things. I've seen it with my own eyes. You guys know the Alvarez family. What a huge heart my brother Carlos has. There are very few men like him. And I can point to other families in this congregation. And over the years that I've seen, they love people. So kind, so benevolent, so caring. And then the calamities hit. You see, we're not like, you know, 
superficial saints who think that because things are not all put together nice and neat and cozy and comfortable in someone's life that they must be in sin. It's not like that. And if we have the Bible, we know that sometimes bad things, you know, happen to people who are relatively good. Again, be careful in passing unsubstantiated judgments upon others, you know. Um, not that I don't believe that God can chasten his children at times because, you know, sometimes that is what's going on. But in, in the fallen world, as we thank God we have the Bible, we will suffer calamities. But as we look at the book of Job, we see that God didn't necessarily author it, but he allowed it. And in allowing it, we can then trust him because he, he does this work and we know that he's going to work it all out for good. You know, when I share with you guys my story, why did my dad get shot when I was a kid? Why did my you know, mom get... in that car accident. We live in a fallen world, fallen bodies, fallen angels. But God has a plan. We see that. We see that in the book of Job. Romans 8, 28, and, and we know that God works all things together for good. Right? To those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. In other words, to Christians. God is going to work everything out for good. This is so beautiful, the promise that we have. I think of the life of Joseph. I mean, here's a guy, you know, had such a bright future, 17 years old though. His brothers all hate him and they sell him into slavery. He's gone for 13 years and you would think that his life is over. But what does God do in the midst of all that? God raises up that young Hebrew slave who had no future to be the second highest in command in the world. And what God does, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph told his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God used it for good because he saved his people. And so, you know, it's just amazing, you know, Eliu, this guy right here, he, he didn't have that understanding, but we do because we have the Bible and we can trust God no matter how dark the day may be. You know, I think in the life of death of Jesus Christ, the, the most cruel thing that could ever take place where we killed God, but in that process, he saved us. You see how God can take the bad and use it for good? I encourage you, no matter what you go through in life, no matter what you've been through as a kid, you're like, where was my dad? Or what was going on here and there? And oh, why did that happen to me? Why is this happening to me right now? I'm telling you this, that God is going to take that and use it for his glory. You've got to trust him. Eliud, he didn't know that. He just thought that Job was being punished for his sin. Look at verse 13. It says, who, who, who gave him charge over the earth? Or who appointed him over the whole world? If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. 
If you have understanding this, listen to the sound of my words. You know, and and he kind of like, you know, talks about God here in the sense that, like, as if Job was thinking, you know, something bad about God. And, and he says, listen, it's not like God is second in command. It's not like he's delegated his authority and he's gotten it from someone else. No, he's in charge of the whole wide world. And, uh, and he's thinking that Job didn't know that, but Job did. Uh, there in verse 14 and 15, he says, if God were to take back his spirit and withdraw his breath... All life would cease and humanity would turn to dust. And it's true, Eliyu. It's true what you're saying about God and how he's in control. But, but the thing is, is as Job is grappling with God, as he's crying out to his creator, you know, he's not indicting God. He's not denying God. So why are you even going there? Listen, if you're going through hard times, if you're going through a a trial that's trying, I just hope you know it's okay to cry. You know, if you cry, it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It's okay to cry. It's okay to pour out your heart to the Lord. You know, it doesn't mean you're necessarily questioning God. You know, we just have to be careful that, 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 that we give it to Him, that we're we're crying to him. We're not complaining to others and we're definitely not quitting. That's all. But other than that, I'll tell you what, man. It's when I've gone through the hard times in my life that God has worked the deepest in my heart. You know, I don't know about you, but how many of you here would just wish that you never would go through trials? Don't you wish that every day would be 72 degrees. Don't you wish that? And then at night, it would dip down to right about 63, and you can open up the window. You won't even have to turn on the air conditioner. I mean, don't you wish that you never had to, you know, take your car in for a tune-up, or it never broke down, you didn't get any flat tires? I mean, don't you wish that your children just lived this perfect life? Wouldn't that be cool? You know, but but then in all reality, where would we be in our heart? It's the hard times that we go through where we actually build character, right? I mean, you can tell those people, you can see it in their eyes, and sometimes they got a few gray hairs, sometimes it's the wrinkles on their face a little bit, you know, just something about them. And you can tell they're a seasoned saint who hasn't had everything given to them on a silver spoon. They've gone through some hard times in life. And there's character. That's why James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. So you can, if you want to, maybe you can wiggle your way and say there's never going to be a trial in my life, then you miss out on the opportunities to grow. And that's why Job says, count it all joy. It's an opportunity to grow. And when you're there, what do you do, man? You get on your knees and you, you know, your child is is in that situation or your, your marriage or you lost your job and you don't know how you're going to pay rent next week and what do you got to do? You got to get on your face and you got to pray. I've seen it with my own eyes. 
men, you know, their, their wife said they're going to leave. And it just rocked their world and made them cry babies. It's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> you know, if your children die, you know, if something happens to your children, let me tell you something. I feel as if you can tell God almost anything because we love him so much. There's nothing harder than the death of a, a spouse or a, or a child. You know, but if you're mad because you don't have enough meat to eat, you know, if you're one of those like the children of Israel in the wilderness and they weren't content with the amazing manna that God provided for them every day of their lives, let me tell you something, that's a different story. You need to grow up. A whiner. Remember this. A whiner is going to get a shiner. Remember that, man. <laughs> That's what happened to them in the Old Testament. You see, Job wasn't complaining or, or questioning, as Elihu said, but this guy, he just goes on and he condemns him for things he never said or did. Look at, at verse 17. Should one who hates justice govern? And he's actually probably talking about Job there. He says, will you condemn him who is most just? Is it fitting to you to say to a king, you are worthless, and to nobles, you are wicked? Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor. For, for they say, they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die, in the middle of the night, the people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken away without a hand. You know, Job wasn't, condemning his creator. He wasn't accusing him of hating justice. Job wasn't saying God was partial. He knew that God made the rich and the poor and they both die the same way. But Elihu really thinks he knows what's going on when he really does. And if you look at verse 21, he says, For his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he need not further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces mighty men without inquiry and sets others in their place. Therefore he knows their works and he overthrows them in the night and they are crushed. He strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others because they turn back from him and would not consider any of his ways so that they cause the cry of the poor to come to him. For he hears the cry of the afflicted when he gives quietness. Who then can make trouble? And when he hides his face, who then can see him? Whether it is against a nation or a man alone, that the hypocrite should not reign, lest the people be ensnared. And, and this is what Job, you know, this is what he, he really thought of Job. Uh, look, if you would, again at verse 26. He strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others. That's what this guy thought about Job. You're wicked, and you are being struck down for everyone to see. You know, and, and so sometimes that happens, you know, but here's the thing, you know, there's a lot of theological truth in some of these, and this guy has knowledge but there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. 
See, wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. And what they were doing was they were taking their knowledge and they were not applying it to Job. They were just, you know, speaking their Christian cliches and thinking that, you know, well, this is the, the pattern, man. If you're in sin, then you're going to suffer, and so you're wicked, and now you're being punished for everybody to see. And, and you might think that about others. And let me even say this. You might think that about yourself. doesn't necessarily mean it's true, my friend. You know, maybe your love for the Lord and the beautiful heart that he sees inside of you is the reason that you're going through what you're going through. Don't beat yourself up. Don't condemn yourself. We all search our hearts. But man, we have to make sure that we don't overgeneralize. You know, in verse 21, again, uh, we notice that God does see all the ways of men. Notice what he says right there. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and, and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. You know, the other day we went through Psalm 139 and that's what he talked about, how God sees everything. And you might even take the wings of the morning and travel the speed of light. You can't hide from God. So do you guys know that? Do you guys know that? That you can't think a thought, say a word, be mean to your wife or kids or anybody you can't look at porn. You can't get high, drunk, nothing. You can't cuss, nothing. There's nothing that you can hide from God. You guys know that, right? I mean, that's true. We're naked before him. And so that's a theological truth. He knows everything about us. In verse 22 and 23, he says, and he doesn't have to ask around. You know, he doesn't have to ask one of the angels, hey, you know, what did Manny do? <laughs> I was over here doing this, and I'm not sure, you know. No, he's not. he doesn't have to inquire. He knows everything about us. You know, this guy thought that Job had turned his back. Look again, if you would, at verse 27. The reason why God strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others is because they turn back from him and would not consider any of his ways. That's not what happened to Job. Although I will say it happens to some. You know, you guys, I'm so blessed that you're here on a Thursday night. I almost want to like sit down and talk with every single one of you and say, why did you come on a Thursday night, man? I'm so proud of you. I'm so blessed that you would come. Hopefully you're here, you know, because you're drawn by the Spirit and because you want to seek the Lord, you know. But I will say this, because I've been serving the Lord for a long time and I've seen a lot of people go the wrong way. You know, it is possible for you to turn your, your back on the Lord. The, one of the scariest scriptures is John 6, 66. So 666, remember that. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then if you remember, Jesus then turned to the 12 and he says, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love that. If you ever think about leaving, where are you going to go? Hopefully you continue to follow the Lord. Man, be so careful. Proverbs 21, 16, it says, a, dead, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Abide in Christ. You know, I've been serving the Lord now since 1989. I don't know how many years that is. Like 28 years? How many years is that? I don't know. I can't think right now. It's a bad time to preach when you can't think, huh? But anyways, 
all my life, I've been going to church four or five times a week. Ever since I became a Christian, I am just there. You know, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, I used to go. Young adult study, Bible college, midweek service, prayer meetings. I was just always there. You know, one of the ways, and again, I don't want to sound legalistic because I know there are always exceptions, but one of the ways that we begin to wander away is when we stop going to fellowship. So keep going, you guys. You know, keep going. Verse 31 uh, right here. It says, for, for has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. I mean, basically he says, you know, does anyone ever say I have sinned, but I'm not going to sin anymore? Or, you know, like, or like, I don't know what evil I've done. Tell me, God, what I've done wrong, and I'll stop at once. That's what we should do. That's what he's asking in verse 33, should he repay it according to your terms just because you disavow it? You must choose and not I. Therefore, speak what you know. Elihu basically says right here that, you know, um, God shouldn't reward you according to your terms when, when in all reality you refuse to repent. And, and it's true. And, and it's interesting what he says right here. Look at verse 33. You must choose, not I. I mean, all of us here, we're free moral agents. And we could choose to obey or disobey every single time. Hopefully, you choose the Lord. That's my prayer. And then he goes on and he talks about guys who are on his side. Men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without wisdom. Oh, that Job were tried to the utmost because his answers are like those of wicked men, for he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hand among us and multiplies his words against God. And apparently, uh, Eliu had gone around and talking to a whole bunch of other guys about Job, which is not a good thing. And they were all saying how off he was. And so be careful with stuff like that. Real quick, chapter 35 Moreover, Eliu answered and said, Do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say, what advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? And, and here we see, you know, he's saying, Do you think it's right to say that you're right to God for you to ask, you know, really what's in it for me? What's the use of living a a righteous life. Do you think it's right to say that? He says in verse 4, I will answer you and your companions with you. He says, look to the heavens and see. And behold the clouds, they are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you're righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you and your righteousness, a son of man. And, and what he's saying right here, you guys, is, you know, you look at the clouds. He's saying God is so much higher than us. And, and what he basically says, he says, if you sin, it, it doesn't affect him. Or if you do good, it, it, he's not impacted. Is that true? No, huh? Not, not really. 
I mean, and maybe in one sense, uh, it doesn't matter what we do as far as harming God or changing God. In one sense, it's not true because, you know, a life of disobedience doesn't harm God or hinder his plans. It doesn't stop him from his purposes that he's about to accomplish. But it does affect him. It does hurt his heart whether or not we choose to obey or, or disobey. The Bible talks about that. Even in the beginning, when God made man, it says that he was sorry that he made him because the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. You know, the Bible talks over and over again about how God is grieved when we sin. And so, you know, on the flip side, I thought it was interesting how a life of obedience, it, it blesses God. You guys, even in this story right here, isn't it interesting how in the very beginning God was bragging about Job? You know, I mean, I don't know how it works to me. It's very mysterious, but he was talking to the devil and he said, have you considered my servant Job? I mean, he was just so blessed by him. How many of you here would want to put a smile on God's face? the one who died for you, the one who made you, the one who maintains you, your redeemer, to bless him. Tell you what, the way you do it is that you live a life of obedience. You live a life that's in right relationship with him. You know, God definitely was impacted by Job's obedience. And so, in closing, uh, verse uh, 9, he says, because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out, they cry out for help because of the arm of the Almighty. But no one says, where is God, my maker, who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of heaven? Basically, what he says there is that when you go through a hard time, a lot of times all you want to do is to just get it over with rather than drawing near to God, rather than seeing how, you know, God, change my circumstance. Change it. And what's God wanting to do? Change you. Huh? I mean, it's interesting how sometimes in marriage relationships, the husbands will confess the sins of the wife. <laughs> God wants him to confess his God, oh, change my wife, change my wife, change my husband, change my husband. God is saying, why don't you change, buddy? <laughs> Oh, Lord. Verse uh, 12, then there they cry out, but he doesn't answer. Because of the pride of evil men, surely God will not listen to empty talk, nor will the Almighty regard it. Although you say you do not see him, yet justice is before him, and you must wait for him. And now, because he has not punished in his anger, nor taken much notice of folly, therefore Job opens his mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge and and what he says right there is basically job just keeps talking because god's not punishing him right away and this guy uh, he was just so off in in what he was sharing you know um i, I want to just close however you know with that that concept of of the songs in the night you know, the songs in the night. Isn't it interesting how God wants to give us the songs in the night? You know, verse 10 teaches us that we should long for and look to the Lord in those difficult times when it's uh, dark and, and devastating and he will meet us there. 
Um, just out of curiosity, and I'm just going to say something different here, okay? How many of you here have like a, a special worship song in your life right now? Any of you here? There's like a song that God's giving you right now in this season of your life to carry you. You know, and, and some of you here, you know what I'm talking about, but I, I kind of think that we should probably all have a song or two that God is using in our life. You know, there's a song that he gives us in, in the night, you know, and that will carry us through. I was reading a story by Pastor Chuck Smith, and he talks about how when he was at a Bible conference in Pennsylvania, for him, he said that what happened was he got, I don't know if it was food poisoning, but he couldn't sleep. And, uh, you know, what he did that night, he said it was just a supernatural thing that God gave him a song. God gave him a song, and he sung it all night long. It was just a song for him. You know, I was thinking of that guy, uh, Horatio Spafford. A lot of you guys know his story, right? He's the guy whose son died when he was only two years old. And then he lost all his wealth in the Chicago fire. And then to make matters worse, when his wife and four daughters go off and they cross the Atlantic, all four of his daughters died. And you guys remember the story, right? And so he goes in to meet his wife and to meet her on the other side. She's just broken, devastated, and grieving. And as he's crossing the Atlantic Ocean, once he, he reaches the spot where all four of his daughters died, God gave him a song. Right there, you guys who know that song, right? It is well. It is well with my soul. We've been singing it for a thousand years. God gives us songs in the night, like when Paul and Silas were there, and they were beaten with many rods in the city of Philippi. And for whatever reason, we don't know why, but for whatever reason, Paul didn't exercise his Roman rights. He didn't say, well, no, I'm a Roman, and so you can't beat me. He could have said that. But he didn't. And how many times do we fight for our rights? No, don't wrong me. No, I'm not going to allow that to happen to me. Maybe every once in a while, God wants to allow things to happen to you. And when they went through that, Paul and Silas, they were there at midnight. And you guys remember what they were singing? They were singing songs. Everybody's listening. And you guys remember what happened next? There was an earthquake. All I'm saying is that as we're going through life and the days are dark and deep and devastating, run to the Lord. Run to Him and ask Him for a song. The other day, I, I, I don't know what happened. Um, I woke up and I know it was the Holy Spirit. And He just, there's this song. Have you guys, do you ever have problems sleeping? You guys ever have problems sleeping, tossing and turning? I mean, I'm usually not like that. I usually can sleep through the night. I can sleep while I'm driving. I can sleep, I mean, <laughs> in a split second. But the other night, man, I was uh, tossing and turning. But every time I woke up, I was singing this worship song. And then I was singing it all night long. And I woke up in the morning, and God was doing it.